Welcome to a new episode of the Audio Investing Podcast, where we talk about engaging topics about investing, personal finance, and business. This show is hosted by Rodrigo Valverde. Hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Audio Investing Podcast, the best podcast to start off your investing journey towards financial independence where we are bullish in value, and where you learn what they didn't teach you about investing. It's your host here, Rodrigo, and today I want to share with you uh, how the modern portfolio theory works, how to manage risk, and how we can make money thanks to MPT, modern portfolio theory. Modern portfolio theory was proposed by an American economist back in the early 50s called Harry Markowitz, where he came up with the idea of how risk-averse investors could maximize expected returns based on a certain level of risk. The argument brought up by this theory is that risk and return should not be viewed independently, but rather how our investments, how our decisions can have an impact overall on our portfolio based on the risk and return obtained. So how do we maximize returns at a given level of risk? An efficiency frontier or a boundary is used to visualize how each asset class performs based on risk and return. Bonds would be lower yielding and low risk. ETFs may be slightly higher risk, but higher yield. Stocks could have even more risk and even higher yield. And real estate could have a higher risk and yield. And commodities would also have a similar yield to real estate, but perhaps maybe more risk depends. Currencies and options and futures have lots of risk, but also come with potential high rewards. And there's many more examples, of course. For example, I mean, you name it, you know, options, something that happens all the time. Uh, People do with their stimulus check money. I mean, you're putting a whole like stimulus savings or month savings into options. And this has happened a lot. And uh, of course, be aware if you're planning on investing in, well, not investing, but on playing in the stock market and placing bets on calls and options and futures because uh, 90% traders tend to lose a lot of money. In finance, anyways, uh, the standard deviation, which is the average dispersion from the average or the mean, it's a term used a lot in finance. In this case, we apply it to the annual rate of return of an investment and it sheds light on that investment's historical volatility. For example, a volatile stock has a high standard deviation, while the deviation of a stable blue chip stock is usually rather low. Since the model assumes that investors are risk averse, that means that they prefer a less risky portfolio to a riskier one for a given level of return. And mathematically, as you add more assets to your portfolio, the standard deviation tends to be lower. And hence, this is the importance of diversification. This method allows us to pick an asset depending on our preference for risk and return and also identify the opportunity cost of investing in a certain asset. Remember that opportunity cost is the loss of other alternatives when one is chosen. So it's the loss of a potential gain from investing in a given asset. For example, you may decide investing in a dividend stock or you could invest in a high growth stock like Tesla. What's your opportunity cost? 
it depends on the decision that you make. For example, you decide to invest in a low-cap stock when your opportunity cost could be a mid-cap stock. The low-cap low stock could have huge upside, but it also carries much more risk because maybe the business model isn't sustainable in the long term, they could, go, they could go bankrupt, they might have negative events or black swan events, whereas the mid-cap also offers high returns, but uh, lower than the low-cap, and there's also less downside risk. If, for example, you were to choose between an asset with significant volatility at a given return or another asset with the same rate of return but with less volatility, you would obviously choose the one with lowest volatility since the return is the same. Or, if an asset at a given return offers an okay return with high volatility and another asset with high return but with the same volatility, you would probably choose the one with high return and same volatility. So essentially, the objective of this theory is to maximize return on your portfolio and minimizing the risk or the downside. Let's use another example just to make sure this is clear. Say there are two assets, A and B, and the expected return of asset A is greater than the expected return of asset B, and the volatility of asset A is greater than asset B. The volatility of the portfolio would be the proportion of asset A squared times the variance of A plus the proportion of asset B squared times the variance of B plus 2 times A and B, standard deviation of A and standard deviation of B, times the correlation between A and B, which you calculate with regression models. Then, you would do the square root of the whole equation to compute the volatility. And that would give you, obviously, the volatility. The correlation between assets is a very fundamental part of the equation. Let's use an example to understand this better. Let's suppose that uh, the two assets are perfectly correlated. So if one asset goes up, the other does as well. The result will be a correlation of one. In this case, the volatility of the portfolio goes down to the sum of both individual volatilities. So a proportion of A times the standard deviation of A plus proportion of B times standard deviation of B. Inversely, if the correlation is negative, so minus one, meaning that if one asset goes up, the other goes down. The volatility would be equal to plus minus, open parenthesis, A times volatility of A plus B times volatility of B, and the result must be greater than or equal to zero. If the volatility were to be zero, in that case, the division between A to B, the ratio, is equal to the division of the volatility of B divided by the volatility of A. And what would happen if there was no correlation between assets A and B? In that case, the volatility of the portfolio equals the proportion of A squared times variance of A plus proportion of B squared times variance. Finally, you would do the square root of that equation and the result must be lower than the weighted volatility of A and B, which is A times standard deviation of A plus B times standard deviation of B. And what happens is that the overall portfolio volatility is less than the weighted sum of volatilities which is the previous equation I just mentioned. Why is this so? It's because the volatility of any portfolio comprises of two parts. The volatility of an individual asset plus the covariance between assets, which is the average return of an asset or several assets divided by the number of intervals. 
which comes in through correlation. When the correlation is zero, there will be no covariance between the two assets. So the portfolio volatility will be less than if assets were perfectly correlated. So if you plot the results of your equation onto a graph where the y-axis is the return and the x-axis is the volatility, you would create a frontier. This is a line that is made up of the different points depending on the return and volatility of the assets. What if we had more than two assets in our portfolio? On our graph, we would have two functions. One would be the efficient frontier, and a second would be the mean variance frontier. The point with lowest volatility, which is on the x-axis, would be the minimum variance portfolio, meaning that at a given return, the level of volatility is the lowest possible, the minimum. The efficiency frontier has points that have greater levels of expected return for a given level of risk than any other point with a feasible set. So, our objective is to have assets that are on this efficiency frontier, as we can max our returns, but it also depends on our appetite for risk. This is just uh, purely academic finance. It doesn't take into account any emotions that the investor might have and other real-world variables but it's sort of a way to explain it more or less. Also, as the number of assets in our portfolio increase, there is a negative relationship with the variance. That means that as we include more assets, the variance goes down. Each asset has a unique or diversifiable risk and it has a market risk. So as we increase the number of assets, the unique risks, risks fade away. So we're left with only the market risk. Basically, what this was a lot of information, but what you have to know is that the variance and the covariance makes individual investments performance less important, less relevant than how it impacts the entire portfolio. Here's another example, just to make you guys, make sure that you guys understand the weight of a single investment within a portfolio. Imagine that we have four assets assets A, B, C, and D, and the returns are 3%, 2%, 5%, and 6% respectively. Now, to calculate the total return of your portfolio, you simply multiply 3% of asset A by 25%, as there are four assets in the total of the whole portfolio, so a quarter, the portion of each, of course. Then we would do, so 3% of asset A times 25%, 2% of B, times 25%, 5% of C times 25%, and 6% of D times 25%. And the expected return would be 4%. In this case, in order to calculate the risk of four assets portfolio, an investor needs each of the four assets variances and six correlation values, since there are six possible two asset combinations with four assets. Because of the asset correlations, the total portfolio risk, or standard deviation, is lower than what would be calculated by a weighted sum. So to sum it all up, what are the benefits of using this method? Diversification is very important. In fact, with the emergence of ETFs, it has helped investors gain access to many asset classes, such as commodities and bonds. Stock investors can use the MPT to reduce risk by putting a small, small portion of their portfolios in government bond ETFs. And the variance of the portfolio will be significantly lower because government bonds have a negative correlation with stocks. 
Adding a small investment in treasuries to a stock portfolio will not have a large impact on expected returns because of this loss-reducing effect. MPT can be used to reduce the volatility of a U.S. Treasury portfolio by putting 10% in a small cap value index or ETF. Although small cap value stocks are far riskier than treasuries on their own, they often do well during periods of high inflation when bonds do poorly. As a result, the portfolio's overall volatility is lower than one consisting entirely of government bonds. Furthermore, the expected returns will be higher. However, one of the biggest disadvantages towards using MPT is that it doesn't factor in the downside risk. That is, the worst case scenario for an investment or how much the investor stands to lose. MPT uses variance but doesn't use downside risk. That's the main difference. That's why there's also postmodern portfolio theory, PMPT. This time, instead of using the variance to measure risk, PMPT implemented downside deviation, which is a return that falls below a minimum threshold or a minimum acceptable return, or simply a return that falls below the mean. To do this, the Sortino ratio is used to quantify this form of risk, and is basically calculated as, well, it's basically a risk-adjusted portfolio performance, where you can take the return minus the risk-free rate, which is the interest rate of a low-risk treasury bond or bill, which is usually about, around 2% or something, and then you divide that by the standard deviation of negative returns. So I'll repeat it. It's the return minus the risk-free rate divided by the standard deviation of negative returns, and that's the Sortino ratio. By using this ratio, investors can figure out the returns they need in order to reach their financial goals. It looks for potential losses, not just volatility. A high Sortino ratio indicates that a portfolio is performing efficiently and carries a low chance of enduring a tough loss. I personally think that PMPT is more effective in determining risk, as it should not be based on the swings a price can have during a set time period, but rather the chances of actually getting below average returns. And that's my take for today on portfolio theory and postmodern portfolio theory. Hope that you guys learned something new. And I just wanted to wish all my listeners from around the world Merry Christmas, that hopefully uh, you may enjoy these holidays in good health, that uh, good times are yet to come, that there are obviously opportunities in the future, that there are investing opportunities, and that you can follow me on social media. Uh, I'll let you guys know later on. And you can follow me about about all the news in finance and business, investing in stocks that I'm keeping an eye out. Um, and that's pretty much it. My message for you guys today is to enjoy as much as possible with your with the people that you hold closest to, uh, with your family if possible. Try to also make sure that you guys are safe, that you guys are keeping distance, and uh, and that you guys may enjoy this as much as possible, and that you guys receive a lot of presents. And again, if you guys need anything from me, uh, reach out to me on social media and uh, we can keep in touch and that's it for today ladies and gentlemen 
Hope you found this episode interesting. Make sure to subscribe or follow and share this podcast if you haven't already, as I'm building a community with expanding reach so that I can make people aware about investing, personal finance, and financial independence. Listen to this episode again to retain knowledge better because you learn with repetition. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and LinkedIn. You can find me as The Audio Investing Podcast. And on LinkedIn, you can find me as Rodrigo Valverde Nuño. Thanks for tuning in. Hope to have you back next time. Have a wonderful day. See you. Bye.